where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. Here now is your host, Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to the Oregon Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager, recording this on the afternoon of Monday, October 2nd, and excited to have Christine Drazen here in studio with us here in a moment. I just finished recording that that interview, and by studio, I mean my office. But I think you'll enjoy the, the interview. Wanted to talk to her and did talk to her about what she is doing with her new organization, A New Direction, which has been in the news lately. And uh, she happened to be over here in Bend, and so we were able to put together an interview. And I think you will enjoy hearing what she has to say about Measure 110, about homelessness, and about housing affordability, which she had just talked about with folks here in Bend. It'll be a short episode today, but did just want to touch upon a couple things before we start with the interview. The first is, and I mentioned this, or we talked about it, Christine and I talked about it during the interview, was this incident about eight people overdosing at the same time at a park in Portland this morning. I understand that they all survived, which is great news, but holy smokes, eight people overdosing on, they suspect, fentanyl at the same time. This is just a disaster. It's a disaster, and at the same time, you see Governor Kotek out there touting the fact that the legislature is forming a committee to look at the fentanyl crisis. I would argue that a committee is probably not necessary, that you have committees with jurisdiction in the legislature, and they ought to just call an emergency session to repeal the decriminalization. So to recriminalize hard drugs, including fentanyl, and then move on to the rest of it later, they're probably, if it came up for a straight up or down vote, in the legislature, I've got to think that it comes to a pretty close vote, which is probably why the Democrats don't want to put it on the floor. But in the meantime, we have people overdosing, people dying on the streets. The more this goes on, the worse it is. Decriminalization is not the only factor here, but it is a factor. And if the Oregon legislature were to speak forcefully that this is not acceptable, that we are taking action to recriminalize hard drugs in light of the massive overdose crisis we're having here in Oregon, it would send a message to Oregonians and to people who, you know, might think about coming to Oregon that, hey, we don't do that stuff here anymore. It's not okay. We tried it. It's not working. We've changed course. That would save lives. Pretty sure that would save lives. We're just not doing it. Sad. Anyway, here's the interview. Okay, and now it's time to welcome Christine Drazen, the former Republican leader of the Oregon House, gubernatorial candidate in 2022, I believe our first return guest on the Oregon Roundup, and our first in-person guest. Christine is here in my office in beautiful Bend, Oregon today. Christine, welcome back to the Oregon Roundup podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, last time we spoke, which was, I don't know, in the spring, perhaps, I asked you what you were going to do next, and you very coyly said, we'll see. And since then, you've announced a new endeavor that you're involved with, and thrilled to have you back on to talk about what a new direction is. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, I wasn't trying to be uh, too evasive with that question, but it's important to give time to decide where you can contribute additional value. And a new direction is an opportunity for me to just continue along the same lines of my public service, which was to find ways to bring community together 
elevate the voices of Oregonians, and work together to solve problems. This is a C4 organization. It's not a magic wand, but it is an opportunity. And it's an opportunity to be able to be in communities and to bring people together because there is no shortage of problems across our state. And just because there's an election doesn't mean that things have magically gotten better or changed, which thus the name of the organization. I believe really strongly that Oregonians themselves, if we are gonna solve these problems, we can't keep doing the same things we have done. We really do need to take a new approach and, and really kind of ground up solutions are the most durable and the most responsive to the unique challenges of a community. And so this is an organization like today we were in Bend to have a conversation about affordability and housing. It's a compelling issue in Central Oregon. And so it was an opportunity to bring people together to talk about it. Did you hear any new solutions or ideas about affordable housing? I think the biggest thing from today that was encouraging to me, if I can start on the upside, was that people are starting to get really creative in recognizing that affordability is impacting workforce. I mean, people, even if the wages are substantial, six figures, they still can't find a place to, to rent or live that, that they can afford. And so folks were talking about ways that they are coming together as a community to you know, potentially partner with businesses and support workforce housing specifically. So if you need workers and you can't find them, how can we help you work through land use challenges, work through permitting challenges, find some of the tax incentives, some of the ways to make this pencil for your business, and take care of the folks that are taking care of, of the good work to serve the community through whatever your business might be. There is, on the ground, in Central Oregon, a proactive response to challenges here. I mean, you saw it with the Veterans Village. People in this community know how to look across the table from each other and say, man, this isn't good enough. Okay, what, what can we do? And, that, and you see that we had nonprofits at the table too today, and that's been their experience too. Like in particular, you have the Giving Plate and you have Furnish Hope are two incredible local examples that are meeting a deep and ongoing need in the community, but they're doing it with the partnership of businesses and individuals across the region, recognizing that it's a way for them to help and support in a difficult time. In the meantime, I mean, it would help if we stop raising taxes. It would help if we stopped adding a regulatory burden that drives the cost of goods and services. It would help if we streamlined the regulations that we have. And you know, some of those basic concepts that are not new to my side of the aisle, but, but sometimes aren't quite as, a, quite as clear that connection for others, that's trying to bubble to the top too. But you know, not surprisingly in Central Oregon, people are coming up with their own unique responses to the challenges they have here and they're working locally to try to get some of that stuff up off the ground. And I was just thrilled to hear the progress that they're making, at least in these initial conversations. Awesome. Yeah, affordability over here is a big deal, like it is many other parts of the state. And Bend does have a reputation for kind of figuring out how to do things, rightly yeah. or wrongly, in part because we're just kind of over here by ourselves. And so we're... We kind of act that way. And oftentimes, many of us wish we were more by ourselves <laughs> versus having Salem and Portland tell us what to do. 
you know, it's, it can be kind of hard. You, wanted, you started on some good news, and I, I think that's great. It can be hard to find good news in Oregon politics, policy, et cetera, these days. One thing that I thought was good news from the last session, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, was Governor Kotek's effort to relax some, and in a minor way, land use restrictions that contribute to the high cost of housing in Oregon. She got voted down in the, in the House, your former stomping grounds. I think she got voted down in the Senate. Oh, was it the Senate? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She didn't have the support of her own colleagues in the Senate. And what was the language you used around the proposal? It was something about in a minor way? Yeah, a small relaxation. Small relaxation in a minor way. I think that that's thematic of almost everything that Tina does to tackle big problems. I mean, that certainly was her response to 110. Not solve the problem. (laughs) Do something on the edges. And so it's something is better than nothing. But my sense of our land use laws, which have been in place since 1972, is that the appropriate response to where we're at right now as a state is to have an actual conversation with the people that are invested in maintaining our land use laws and they see the value in the environmental protections that are built in that, the protections of farmland and then have the conversation with people on the other side, all of the consumers that are adversely impacted by the rising costs of housing, all of the businesses that are adversely impacted by the shrinking access to industrial lands. We need to have a make, make it a table, or have that conversation, and determine what we can do to fix land use, not have a particular carve-out for this moment where we've got a governor with, with a banner-length initiative that she's anxious to say mission accomplished under, but that we need to fix this, not nibble at the edges, not create more exceptions, not create more carve-outs. It has been a long-term enduring problem for us in our state. Like, you can see this coming, this train coming yep. down this track. Yep. Let's recognize that our other side of the value set is that we want to be a state that farms. We want to be a state mm-hmm. that grows stuff and raises cattle and you know and we want that for our, for our state and we can't afford to have the median home price be $752,000 so i appreciate you know the effort to make small changes and minor adjustments and nibble around the edges because it's not nothing it's an acknowledgement but if we do not set that larger table and that larger expectation that it's going to require leadership where you bring people and you say, we are going to find common ground. We are going to fix this. We're not going to nibble. We're not going to do carve-outs. We're not going to do loopholes and exceptions to try to shy away from what's really broken because it's really broken. There's a lot that's really broken in Oregon. And it's like five years ago, I think, if you asked, if you'd ask me what is most broken in Oregon, I probably would have said the land use system, yeah. even more broken than it was then. But now, unfortunately, they're competing with taxation and education and quality of life and drugs and Drugs and homelessness. And homelessness. Yep. And so, you know, that, that, that ticker tape parade of failure across our state has not changed. No. And in this time, when we're not in an election cycle, when the stakes are everyday Oregonians stakes where what matters to them matters to us this is the time to step in and say this hasn't gone away we have the we have the luxury of time now 
what's the what's our best approach? What's our best thinking? Another big issue facing Oregon that probably needs a big approach is drugs. I saw a headline today or yesterday that the legislature is now forming a committee about fentanyl. Thank goodness. Yes, because I'm sure they the didn't have any committees that no, have no committee could have drugs that. in yeah. their jurisdiction right? no, that already care. existed, but they're forming a new committee to mm. evaluate the crisis. At the same time today, there's a headline about eight people overdosing at the same time so in, park in Portland. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts about how to attack Oregon's drug crisis? I think it's important to acknowledge that Measure 110 was a complete and total manipulation of Oregonians at, at the ballot box. They were given this false choice that if they wanted to provide more supports to people facing substance use disorder and, and living through an addiction crisis in their lives, that they had to accept the decriminalization of the possession of hard drugs. When in fact, we are, have just been, money has been raining down on state coffers in Oregon. We have just been awash in cash. There were enough resources to prioritize this need. There was not a political will for our leaders at that time to get it done. And so now we have it, we've got 110. The answer, and this is going to be a theme for me, is similar to probably what I'd say about land use. The answer is not to nibble away at the edges. The answer is to, in fact, commit to our service providers that we will fund addiction recovery services, we will fund prevention, we will pay our providers appropriately so that they get into that workforce so that we can solve this problem, and also we need to repeal 110 not do some soft, you know, sleight of hand reform where we tell you it's going to be okay, we're going to make some minor modifications, but really at its core it's okay. No, it was never okay at its core. It lacked respect for and dignity for the Oregonians that so desperately need our help. Instead of providing them with the support and services they need, we were leaving this patchwork of services. You know, I went and did a tour at Central City Concern, and the thing that was the most striking to me about that conversation, because I had done ride-alongs with police and had all these conversations on 110, and I talked to people that were actively using, but when I talked to the providers that said we're in there to help people, they said that their cycle from the moment that they take a fentanyl pill to when they need the next one is like 15 minutes to 45 minutes. And so, you know, they were saying other drugs have a longer period at which they remain under the influence of that drug, and then a longer recovery period before they go seeking again. Fentanyl's not like that, which means it's a habitual experience for them. If they're awake, they're looking for their next fentanyl pill. Mm. That makes stopping and disrupting the cycle of addiction, they have that long. If somebody says, I need help, they have that long until they change their mind. 15 minutes. What? Yeah, yeah, to an hour, yeah. right? And so if our, if our services and our support say, listen, you're gonna get on a wait list, and you're gonna need to be, you're need to, gonna need to be clean for seven days, and then you're gonna get into this program, or it's gonna be two weeks before we even can respond to you whether or not you can get into our program, that moment passes so quickly. And for, especially for the people that are homeless and living on our streets and they're in this cycle, the people that are surrounding them are not the people that are gonna be able to help them get out of that cycle. We have got to be able to have 
a point of access, immediate point of access for people that are ready, in the moment they're ready. This is no joke. Fentanyl kills people, it is killing our kids. This is killing our kids. And, and we have got to step in and disrupt it. Not make it so that, so that it can continue. Not make it so that all we're doing is nipping around the edges. We need to say, this is the wrong decision for our state. This is the wrong decision for Oregonians. We must, we must help people get out of this cycle. And frankly, we need to prevent people from getting into it. Well, I'll try to put a little finer point on that. So when you say repeal 110, so there's, you could just repeal the entire law, which arguably dries up some of the money that some of these treatment organizations Which is the justification for passage. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So do you think in an ideal world, we repeal all of 110 and just kind of build up from zero, or do we repeal just the, de the decriminalization provision of 110, keep the funding, what are your thoughts about so that? So I think here's the tricky thing about what you've just described, is that I have a little bit of a concern that Oregonians who passed 110, that if we tell them we're doing anything but repealing, I don't know why they should believe us. I don't know why they should trust us. They were duped once before. They thought they were getting something that was going to help solve this problem. It didn't. And so we have to support our service providers. But that wasn't new money. They robbed Peter to pay Paul. So now our county services that were receiving marijuana funding no longer get that yep. funding. They just redirected money. They didn't create a new pot of money. And frankly, when they said that they were going to have less money spent on law enforcement response and that was going to be new funding that could be directed towards that, that was smoke and mirrors. We know that. Law enforcement has more engagement in response to addiction now than maybe ever before. It's not that they're putting them in jail, but they're moving them. And they are responding to overdoses, and they are engaging. And so property crimes, you name it, law enforcement's still engaging with people that are facing substance use disorder. And so we have to be able to, to provide funding. But I am concerned that approaches that are some version other than repeal, in fact, that it'll be more sleight of hand, and that we'll get something that is not, in fact, better. And so I, I say it was, it was broken to begin with, let's clean the slate, and let's commit to fund these services as they always should have been funded, and not ask Oregonians to nip around the edges on this issue. And they would have to do that at the ballot box, obviously, because they, the legislature's not going to do a full Well, to be clear, the legislature could. They could. They could. It's not constitutional. I just think politically they probably won't. Well, because they're short-sighted. Yep. And also, they've had that opportunity ever since 110 passed. Every year, there have been vehicles, measures, bills yep. proposed in Salem to fix the problem. And every year, they don't even allow them to have hearings. Yep. And so the fact that they're now just now looking around going, we need a joint committee, we need to address this with a joint yep. committee. Are you kidding me? Yep. We know what the problem is. We do. And I, I, I think that one of the ways that Democrats have kind of exposed themselves is by not taking a run at, tw at uh, Measure 110 in the yeah. last legislative session. I mean, when the writing was on the wall. At on that the point. long session, they should have exactly. done Exactly. Like, and, yeah. and they just talk about nibbling around the edges, yeah. truly nibbling around the edges. And they didn't, and there wasn't, there wasn't much appetite for it. And because now, our current governor says, let it work. Yep. We need to just give it more time. And that's her party. Those are her folks. She's the leader of that party. I have no doubt there was no appetite 
to buck the governor on that issue, but there needs to be. There yep. needs to be leadership on that issue. Yep. Well, thank you for helping to provide some of that leadership as you go around the state and talk to talk to folks. Have you uh, have you made your way out, out into far eastern Oregon yet? Not yet. I know you not have in your, in your life, in but my, not as yeah, part of this. Not uh, as a part of this effort. Yeah, yeah. I'm ex I'm excited to um, to continue this conversation with Oregonians. Good. Well, Christine, I know you've got a busy uh, schedule today and probably always. Really appreciate you stopping by and appearing on the Oregon Roundup podcast. Hope to have you back again sometime. Have any parting message for the uh, for the listeners? I just think that, you know, as always, I think the most important thing from my perspective is that we continue to have these conversations. This podcast is an important platform for sort of the other side of thinking to really have the opportunity to point, to point out the policies that are out there that need to have some correction. But more than anything else, it's just I love that Oregonians themselves are able to engage directly in all this stuff, and I think the best solutions are always ground up, not top down. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your work on that. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Christine Drazen, and we will be keeping tabs on her efforts throughout the state of Oregon to give voice to folks that maybe are not always included in the discussions that happen in Salem. Hope you enjoyed the podcast in general today. We'll do it again soon and keep your eye out for the newsletter coming through your email. If you are not yet subscribed to the Oregon Roundup newsletter and podcast, you can do that at oregonroundup.substack.com. Encourage you to do that so you can see all the stuff that we by we, I mean I am doing. Thanks so much for listening. It's the Oregon Roundup podcast. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.